0: Well, good morning. That was quite loud. I apologize. (laughs) We're just going to wake you all up. Let's get started, huh? Hey, if you have a Bible, grab it, open up to Nehemiah chapter 8. If, if you're new to the Bible and you're not really sure what th- where that is, that's, that's okay. You can follow along. I'll have everything up here so you can see it. But if you're curious, it's kind of about uh, a third of the way through. So you can open up a Bible if you have one or grab your phone and follow along. Hey, my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. And we are starting a brand new series. It is based on the book of Nehemiah. And last year we started going through Nehemiah. We went through the first seven chapters. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to finish out the chapter and look at how God goes to work on rebuilding broken things. And that's, you know, that's that's kind of a big deal right now. In fact. Um, You've probably experienced this. I don't have to give you any statistics or stories or anything for you to know something about where, where I'm going to start this morning. Our world feels a little broken, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I mean, maybe you've lived under a rock for a while, but if you haven't, you turn on the news, it's, it's not good. It's hard to watch. I came to a place where I literally had to turn the news off because it was just, you know, leading me to a depressed state. Day after day, you hear you hear about another shooting, don't you? Day after day, the, the conversation about gun violence, just violence in, in general. Day after day. If you're connected with a community and a group of people, you're hearing about another family that's being destroyed, whether it's by an affair or by, by just brokenness in the marriage. You, you hear about kids who are being orphaned. You, you know the reality of Broome County and Susquehanna County and, and where Bridgewater is, is privileged to do ministry. You know that there are all kinds of children who need homes and parental figures in their lives. You, you know the brokenness. You see it. You feel it. You experience it day in and day out. I see it. I know I'm new here, but I'm not new to ministry over the last 20 years. I've given my life to, to walking with people and, and sharing the good news of God's Word, and, and day in and day out, I've had people come into my office, pour their hearts out, talk about the brokenness and their struggle with sin, the brokenness of someone else's sin, the shame, the the hurt, the pain. See, it's not just on a national level, it's also in our homes, wouldn't you say? It's in our communities, it's in our neighborhoods, it's everywhere. And the interesting thing for me is that as I study God's Word, as I look at this thing we, we call the Bible. It's actually living and breathing. It's real. It's, even though much of it was written, you know, millennia ago, you need to know and understand that it's still applicable to my life and to yours. It's real. It's helpful. And what I find when I read God's Word is that this is not, our, our current 21st century setting, this is not the first time that a group of people have been in need of God changing things. Do you know that? This is not the first time that that a a nation has needed God to show up and do something. It's not the first time that families and homes and, and, and people and communities have needed God to show up and do a good work and do something to change us. In fact, the book of Nehemiah tells us all about a time for the nation of Israel where things were not going well. Now, it'd be easy to read Nehemiah and go, okay, well, things just weren't going well physically. Like in 586 B.C., I know it's a long time ago, okay? You know, 25, almost 2,600 years ago, another nation, the nation of Babylon, came in. uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his his son Nebuchadnezzar, maybe you've heard of from the book of Daniel. They they marched into, into Israel and Judah, and they came in, and they conquered the land. Eventually, they made it all the way to Jerusalem, and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, and they carried away the best and brightest. They destroyed the walls. They destroyed everything. So things were looking bad physically. But if you don't dig, you won't know why things got so bad physically. Things got so bad physically because things had deteriorated spiritually People had forsaken God. They'd forgotten Him. They'd stopped listening to His word. They'd turned away from Him. They'd stopped obeying. They'd stopped taking it seriously. Sure, they went through the motions. They all went to temple. They all went and they they went up and did all of the you know social things, but nothing was changing in their hearts. Which makes which makes me wonder. What about us, Bridgewater? See, if you're new here and you're not. Sure about Jesus, I just want to tell you something here. This talk today specifically is going to be focused on people who would say, I've decided to follow Jesus. And this is going to be a talk where we take a look at ourselves so that we can get involved in the good work and something changes. So here's what I know about Nehemiah the first seven verses tell us about Nehemiah dealing with the physical problems. The whole wall of the city of Jerusalem was torn down, and Nehemiah did a great work. He did something pretty powerful, and in fact, you know what he did? Nehemiah built a wall that was four and a half miles long, okay? If we can pull that up. He built a wall that's four and a half miles long, 20 feet wide and 20 feet high, and he did this all with unskilled laborers, most of whom were, were, were farmers, and certainly farmers know what they're doing when it comes to labor, but masonry is a different thing, and they went to work. And they did this all in 52 days. All the while, fearful because there were people who who were trying to hurt them and stop them and didn't want the work to continue. But Nehemiah, he kept them focused and they did it. And they did an incredible work. But here's the interesting thing. Then we transition into chapter 8 and we realize that the work had only just begun for Nehemiah. Because the reality is that building the wall was the easy part. It was easy. Compared to changing people's hearts. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we start wrestling with the question of, how does God change hearts? How does God change my heart? Because if you're anything like me, my heart can be hard on occasion. How about you? I can get set in my ways, and I can get, you know, stuck in ruts, and I can, I can want to just live life the way I want to live it, and I don't want anybody else telling me, no, Aaron, you might want to consider. I don't like that. I don't like that. And yet, what I find in the Scriptures is that God is God is absolutely focused on making sure that my heart is changed to be in tune with his not with my own ideas. So, here's the thing. How do you start a movement in our community, in our church, in our homes, in our families, much less in our nation? How how does that begin? I think we can learn something from a time in Israel's history where a movement began. And they actually got to work seeing changed hearts. Nehemiah chapter 8 actually gives us three steps on how to do it. Let me share with you the first step, and we'll look at the Scripture together. The first step is this. You have to be willing to start with you. Now, that's the fun part, right? Because I turn on the media, I turn on the news, and I see all the problems, and I just want to point. Well, if those people would get their act together right? If those people, you know, maybe, maybe they sit in a different place politically than you, and you want to point your finger. Maybe they sit in a different place on some issue than you, right? And you'd say, if, if they would just change, then everything would be fine. Wrong. You're missing the fact that you and I need to change. This is where it starts. By the way, I'll talk about this later, but one of the reasons that people really reject church in our culture today is because we are so quick, church people, to point a finger, and we are slow to let God work on us. What if that changed? What if the first place we looked was at ourselves? Well, that's what happens in Nehemiah. Look, look at the text. I'm going to start one verse back before chapter 8. You can see it there if you have a Bible open or on your phone. It starts in verse 73. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns. Here's what's happened. They had, they had been dispersed and now since the walls are, are being rebuilt and the nation is being restored, people started going back to their homes and towns. The Nehemiah knew that wasn't going to be enough. The people, if they just went back and settled, that wouldn't change everything because they had gotten here because of their sin. He knew something else needed to change. So look at verse 1. It says this, all the people came together in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So here's what's going on. This is a time of the year, a regular rhythm of the year where all of the people would go up to Jerusalem. They would be there for a festival. And the people are gathered together. And one of the best things that they ever decided to do was to say, Bring out God's word. Bring out God's word. Now, that's a good first step. And I would challenge you bring out God's word in your homes. I know it's hard. I get in front of people all the time, and I teach. But do you know one of the hardest places for me to walk through God's Word is? It's at home. You want to know why? Because they know me inside and out. I get more nervous to sit down with my wife and my children, not because they make me nervous, but just because of my own heart. I get more nervous to do that than I do to get up here. So I realize, I get it. Some of you get so nervous and you get scared to bring out God's word at home, but I would just tell you, please, push through. Don't stop. It's worth it. But you can't just stop there. It's not enough to just read God's word. You've got to see what else happened. They had the desire to to sit under God's word. They had a hunger. That's good. But then look at verse 2. Look at what occurred. So, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand." And I love this. You've got to grasp this, this last part. Everybody who was able to understand, everybody who was able to comprehend, everybody who was able to listen, everybody was there listening. Listen, your children, your grandchildren, the people that are around you that you have influence, if you have the opportunity to talk with them about God's word, they need to hear it. Then look at verse 3. He, being Ezra, read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Do you know what's going on here? From about 6 a.m. till noon, they sat and they began reading through the first five books of the Old Testament. We, we, you know, maybe they were reading Deuteronomy. You know, Moses' kind of second telling of the law. We, we don't know for sure, but the reality is we know at this time they would have at least had the, what we call the Pentateuch. It means the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They sat down and for six hours they're reading it and they're listening attentively. So much so that you know what else happened in verse 9. Look at what verse 9 tells us. Tells us then, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, "This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep." For all the people had been weeping as they listened as they listened to the words of the law. Why were they weeping? They're weeping because they're being convicted. They're also weeping. We know historically. They're weeping because they were commanded to do this every, every seven years. They were to come together, the whole nation. They were to have a, a, a huge festival, and they were to read the entirety of God's Word together. They were all to be there, and for at least 70 years, this had not been happening. Seventy years in captivity, another 70 years before Nehemiah started to work. For 70 years, they hadn't been allowing the Word of God to pierce and cut to their hearts and work on them. How about you and me? Are we listening to God's Word? When, When was the last time... And I, I don't mean this like prescriptively. It's, it's not that everybody just needs to sit and weep all of the time. But I, I just wonder, when was the last time the Word of God pierced your heart so much that you just sat and wept? Wept in thanksgiving, wept in confession, wept in repentance, recognizing, man, God, I have been doing it my own way. You want to know how things will begin to change? They will change when we start with us. When we let the word of God begin to pierce us, to change our pride, to change our gossip, to change our homes and the way that we talk to each other, the way we speak in anger, to change the things that we watch in front of, and put in front of our eyes. Listen, this is where it starts. This is where things change. When God begins to change our, our speech towards people who are difficult and our attitudes towards people that we may not like. It just begs the question, are you reading God's Word? Are you reading God's Word? See, if you aren't reading God's Word, you won't know of the realities of what sin can do to you. I grew up thinking that sin was just like God telling us, hey, don't do those things because God was a big fun hater and he wanted to make sure none of us ever had fun. Anybody ever feel like that, you know? I grew up thinking that. When in reality, God, God's doing something different. The, the best illustration I've ever come across of this, and one of our pastors brought this up in preparation, and it's good, but I, I, I've, I saw a movie back, I think it was in 2020, a movie came out called Radium, The Radium Girls. Anybody heard of this? Nope, not very popular apparently. <laughs> radium Girls was a movie that was made about uh, a group of women who in the early 1900s had been hired by watchmaking companies to take paint that was filled with radium. You understand radium is, is a radioactive material and very, very bad for you. These these women were hired to take paint made with radium and paint watch faces because it would cause the watch face to glow, right? Now, all of the scientists for this company knew that this stuff was bad for you. They used all sorts of protective material. But for these women that were hired, they were simply paid uh, significant amounts of money but they were never given any prot- protective material so they would take these little paint brushes and because the company didn't want to pay a lot for the paint they would they would they didn't want to you know reuse uh, paint brushes i mean they didn't want to pay for paint brushes. they would take the paintbrushes and they would tip them you know with their mouths and and just paint and many of them thought it was so beautiful they started painting their nails and painting on their faces no one ever told them what this was doing to them it wasn't very long before the first woman died a tragic death. her and I, I thought about showing pictures, but I couldn't, I couldn't physically stomach the pictures. The entirety of her jaw was eaten away. And no one ever told them. It destroyed them. Very quickly... 20, and then 50, and then 100 of these women had died. Sin is a lot like that. Even if you don't know it, it's doing destruction to you. That's one of the reasons God calls us to start with ourselves and to look at ourselves and to sit under the Word and to let God work on us and to let Him change us because there we see the truth about what what is right and what is wrong. You see... I told you, I grew up thinking that God just told us no because he didn't want us to have fun, but the reality is this, it's, it's a lot different. Sin is not harmful because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's actually harmful. That's the truth. God, when he tells you no, he's, when he says don't, when he says don't do this, you know, when he says don't do this, he's also saying don't hurt yourself, he cares, he loves you, He He's there. And the interesting thing is that Nehemiah actually started with himself as well. Now, I know I'm taking a lot of time on this, so let me just wrap this part up. But I, 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 wanna just, I want you to get a full picture of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, when he heard about the state of Jerusalem and how bad things were and that the people still were were dispersed all throughout, Nehemiah wept and he went before the Lord and the first thing he did is he confessed his own sin and the national sin. He confessed all of it. He went before the Lord. He started with himself. Go and read it for yourself later today. Look at his prayer. I, I would tell you, pray a prayer just like that. Let God look at your heart. But then you know what else he did? Eventually, when he was sent by King Artaxerxes, the the Persian king, he was sent back to Jerusalem so he could be allowed to help rebuild the city. And Artaxerxes gave him money. He gave him a stipend. He gave him food. Do you know what Nehemiah did? He said, I am not going to use any of that for myself. He could have. It was given to him. But he said, nope. I'm going to feed other people. Look at Nehemiah 5 and verse 14. Look at what it says. It says this. It says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. (coughs) They gave it all away. Why? Because Nehemiah knew that if people were going to grow and change and learn to be generous and stop being selfish and thinking of themselves it was going to have to start with him it starts with you it starts with me we want to see we want to see Vestal and Binghamton you want to see you know you want to see uh, Endicott and Enwell you want to see Johnson City you want to see you know Owego and you want to see these places changed now i can say them i can't tell you where they are yet you, you want to see those places change? I can tell you how it's going to happen. It's going to happen if we allow God to break our hearts and begin to move in our homes, in our marriages, in our children, in our neighborhoods. See, the answer is not a different president. The answer is not different politics. The answer is sitting right in front of you. It starts with you. Now, look. Look at what happened. Israel did allow it to start with them. But then they did something else. They started helping others. Isn't that interesting? That as soon as they submitted to God, they started having eyes to look out and see other people. To me, that kind of resonates with a, a, a lot about Bridgewater and some of our core values. We say around here, you know, a couple of things. We say, saved people serve people, right? Why? Because when you, when you begin to follow Jesus, he should be giving you eyes to make a difference in other people's lives. We say, found people, find people. Why? Because that's the heart of God. So if it starts with us, then it should result in us actually helping other people grow as well. Look at, the, look at the text. We need to help others know God, okay? I want to show you the text in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 7. Here's what it says. The Levites, Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabethai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hannah, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. Now, real quick, I need you all to repeat those names after me. That's <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun. And I'm glad we have those names. It tells me that God's paying attention to what I do. I hope you catch that. When those names are there, they're there for a reason. God's paying attention to what I do. But the key thing is, what did they do? Some of the Levites, some of the priests, they came alongside and they started helping other people to understand God's Word. Look at verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. And then verse 9 again, the one that I shared with you earlier then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher, uh, a priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. There's two things. Number one, If you feel like you don't or you can't understand God's Word, I want you to know, even the people described in the Bible struggled with it. It's okay. But more than that, there's hope. There are resources. There are tools. We have things around here. In fact, if you don't even have your own Bible, we have Bibles out in the foyer. We will get you a Bible. There's a table out there. should be a table out there with orange Bibles. We will get you a Bible Not only that, we can give you tools like our on-track devotionals. We can give you a tool that will begin to teach you how to study and apply God's Word for yourself. If you need more than that, I will personally make sure that we get you connected with somebody who will walk through God's Word with you. Because you need to know and understand it. These people, they started helping. It makes me think of of, a Kind of two different groups of people. It makes me think of people who don't yet know the Lord or aren't sure. I wonder what would happen if we at Bridgewater, if we continued or started. I'm like I said, I'm new. I don't I don't know what all is going on here. But but I, I wonder what would happen if we started coming alongside people who don't yet know Jesus, and just walking through God's Word with them. I wonder what would happen. You don't have to have a Bible degree. You don't have to have any. All you need to do is be one step ahead of the person that you're influencing. That's it. I mean, the other day, you know, we didn't have any devotionals for my 14-year-old son at the house. I hadn't picked up the on track yet. And I started thinking, well, what am I going to, you know, have for him this morning? And I was wrestling with it because I started thinking, well, I don't have any material ready or whatever. And that morning I had read in a particular psalm, and I had written down a couple of things that God was working on in my heart. So I simply just wrote out. The things that I had learned that day. That's it. And just said, hey, take a look at this. Would you wrestle with these questions? That's it. That's all. See, I wonder who are you pursuing so that you can introduce them to the Lord? Second, who are you helping grow? Are you helping your kids? Are you helping another man? Are you helping another woman? Are you encouraging somebody in God's Word? These Levites, they they just, they took what they had. They had the Word of God and they just started walking through it and just started giving a plain explanation of it. You don't need a Bible degree. You don't need to be able to explain the ins and outs of theology. You need to be in God's Word and then just share what you're learning with somebody else. That's how a movement begins. Who are you helping grow today? Third, look at what else happened. Towards the end of this account, here they all are, okay? The the, the people have heard God's Word. They've been moved by God's Word. They're also told, hey, this is a joyous time. We, are, we, are, we should be joyful and recount what God has done in the past. Yes, God is breaking us, and that's good, but we also need to remember God's done some good things in the past. So they told him, go home, don't mourn, don't weep. Go home and take what you have. Take food, prepare it, have a meal. Have, it says have sweet drinks, get together, and share with other people who don't have any. Wow, that sounds awesome. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a block party, right? And the whole time, they're having this block party saying, look at what God has done. And then they come back. And the second time they come back, God reveals to them things that they should be obeying, things that they should be doing. And do you know what the people said? They said, nah, nah, that's too hard. That's, you know what, God, that's outdated. That's old-fashioned. People don't do it that way anymore. We don't live like that anymore. We don't do things like that anymore. No, that's not what they did. Instead, they chose to obey, and they obeyed with great joy. That's what they did. They obeyed with great joy. Look, verse 14 says this. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. Verse 15, and that they should proclaim the word and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from the myrtles and palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written, So, verse 16, the people went out, and they brought back branches, and they built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courthouse, court of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua the son of Nun until that day, notice this, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. They had not been obeying, and now they were obeying, and guess what? And their joy was very great. Maybe one of the reasons joy seems so far away is because we're struggling to obey. What would happen if we just simply obeyed. God had told them like build these, these little tabernacles, build these almost like little tents or shacks and spend a week there to remember where you've been and what God has done and remember how he delivered you and how he carried you through. Remember all of that. Remember who God is. And if you would do that and then obey, guess what? Things will change. But I, found it, I find it pretty easy to just do my own thing. And we wonder why things don't change. What if we learn to obey God immediately? My kids are great at that. Obey the first time. You want to know why they're so great at that? (laughs) Because I was so great at that. Uh, That's sarcasm. I I struggled with it. I still struggle with it. How about you? God calls us to obey immediately. God calls us to obey, not just immediately, but to obey radically. They did. They gave up everything. They stopped what they were doing. They went out. They collected everything, and they took a whole week. I'm sure they had things to do. I would have things to do. They took a whole week, and they obeyed. They obeyed immediately. They obeyed radically. Not only that, they obeyed collectively. They did it together. And I know this will be weird, so let me address it. What do you mean you won't move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend until you're married? What do you mean you don't get drunk ever, even on New Year's Eve? What do you mean you're not going to complain or throw a fit at work when things don't go your way. What do you mean you're not going to gossip about people? What do you mean you're not going to allow yourself to be bitter because they hurt you and they really deserve you getting back and getting revenge and talking bad about? What do you mean? Here's what I mean. If we will be a people that God can use and that God will change a community through, this is what must happen. It starts with you then we help others, and we obey. See, here's what I'm convinced of, and I find it in God's Word. Things will not change because of uh, a government or your leaders. Things change when we act on the truths of God's Word. I mentioned earlier that people don't reject the church because of its teaching. I, I honestly believe that. I don't think people in our communities are rejecting the church or rejecting, you know, or, or walking away from the church. You've all heard stories or seen people walk away from the church, heard of young people having mass exoduses from, from the church. I don't think they're rejecting what we believe. I think they're rejecting it because of the reality that we don't live what we believe. And here's what I know. I have a 14-year-old, and many of you have some in that same vein who are watching right now. I have a 14-year-old who needs to see a church that believes it starts with them and that will help him, and that will obey. And if that happens, your neighborhood's going to change, because your house changed, and your community's going to change. God will do a good work. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that we would take seriously your word. I pray that you do a good work in us. I I find it easy to watch other people and to go, hmm, God, I want you to do a good work in that person, but really that's not the issue. I need you to do a good work in me. I need you to soften my heart. I need you to begin to just break it, break it down, so that I listen to you, so that I'm humbled, and that I am dependent on you. And then I, I need you to move me with compassion, to be willing to come alongside someone else, just to be a help. God, I, I pray that that would be the case. Please root out the sin patterns in my life so that I can be changed. And I pray that that would be true. That would be true of Bridgewater. Help us, God, to take our next step. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.